Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Well, he is back after chasing buffalo on foot up at Yellowstone Park and elsewhere. Good morning, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you doing today? Oh, peachy wonderful. Ah, you always are. (laughs) Not really, but the truth will never be told. (laughs) Uh, You have some information that you'd like to share with us about the, not prehistoric man, but the the petrified. The incredible petrified man. Yeah. Two weeks ago, we talked about him. Yeah. And they pretty much know that his name was Brigadier General Thomas Francis Meager. What what branch or what part of the service? The service uh, of the Army or what? I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Um, but one of our good listeners by the name of Ken Meager Uh-oh. with the same last name uh-huh. has sent me some information that I'm going to share sometime with you about uh, this General uh, meager, but I want to thank Ken for sending me this information, and I'm act- I'm going to try to get a hold of Ken and talk to him. And could we get him on the air? We might could do that. I will uh, ta- uh, call him and uh, visit with him and see what we can do. So the gist of what happened was he listened to the program, and you mentioned his relative's name right. of Colonel Meager. Yeah, General Meager. A- a General Meager. And this man got a hold of you, and this other this gentleman had also written a college paper on his relative. Right. And he's not sure if it's a relative. So he's still checking on that. Oh. Okay. But I want to thank him for because uh, he sent me this paper that he wrote in college about. But he only goes up to the point where he's still alive. So we're we're going to see what we can find out about that. May I ask you a dumb question? Sure. What petrified him? <laughs> you know, I was going to look that up, and I never have. <laughs> I don't know. It was incredible. There's a lot of things that have scared me motionless, but I'm not <laughs> petrified. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work on that. Hey, you're going to be talking about a guy today that was not such a good guy down in Texas. No. And uh, who's this? His name is King Fisher. Okay. So this starts out, there's a sign on the road. Uh, it says, this is King Fisher's road. Take the other one. No kidding. Yeah. So that was a kind of a crude sign that uh, most men did what it said. They uh, That was the way it was in the 1870s uh, down in what they call Eagle Pass country of South Texas. Was that Eagle over Pass? Eagle Pass? Is that over kind of in the uh, southwest portion headed towards Alpine? I, you know, I'm not exactly sure. I, I just know that it's just in that southern part of Texas. Okay. So I'm not exactly sure. Right. But anywhere, uh, you know, there's rustlers from both sides of the border, hostile Indians of several tribes, a choice collection of, I guess we would call it the trash of the border country. Not a, kind of a, a real good American yeah, neighborhood. Yeah. So, you know, beside the detachments of the tiny frontier army, there was really hardly any law in the Eagle Pass country. And what law was there was mostly the Texas Rangers. Yeah. And there weren't many. They didn't have enough to really cover the ground but from time to time special companies were formed one of these was commanded by a remarkable man by the name of captain lee mcnelly 
Now, McNally's job was to bring some sort of peace to this uh, section of South Texas because it was continually uh, being plagued with robbery, murder, ranch burning, rustling. So in April of 1875, when McNally took command, five ranches had been burned by masked men in a single week. So it was chaos. Well, it, was it a roving gang? that? Uh... I think it was just different groups of men that decided this is a good place to to break the law. So yeah. that's what they did. Okay. But McNally had headed a tough, capable bunch of about 40 rangers, but things were about to change. Among other things, McNally ordered that any prisoner captured was to be killed at once if an attempt were made to free him. So it was obvious that this guy meant business. If you captured a bad guy and he tried to get away, just kill him. Just shoot him. So, now one particular group of offenders was a large band operating out of Mexico, and McNally caught up with them before they could make it back across the border. The final score was Rangers 16, Criminals 1. Wow. But there was always more scum to track, and one of the Rangers... Say that again real fast. (laughs) There was always more scum to track. (laughs) And one of the Rangers' targets was this guy, and his name was John King Fisher. Uh That really was his name. Yeah, John King Fisher. And uh, he had a reputation for rustling cattle to kind of build up his own herds, which was not an uncommon thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a famous figure already, and he was destined to become even more famous. Now... Even down in South Texas, where killings were regular and plentiful and hard men were everywhere, there was a scarcity of men who wanted to tangle with this, and he was young at the time, Fisher. Nobody knew for sure how many men he had killed. Nobody knows to this day, but every man knew he was greased lightened with a colt. He was fast with his gun. Now, this was about 1876? Yeah, 75, 75, okay. 76, right. right in there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but he was one of just a few truly ambidextrous, and for those people... Uh, I'm going to explain that to you, Zeb. Well, <laughs> that means he can walk one foot at a time. Well, I thought I'd explain that to you. <laughs> In other words, he could shoot left or right hand just as fast as he could either side. Wow. So he was good. Nobody wanted to, to mess with this guy. Okay. Now, John Kingfisher was born in Collin Te- County, Texas in 1854. His father was named Job Fisher, moved west and supported himself by running cattle and working as a freight teamster. Kingfisher moved with him, but in 1869, his dad, Job Fisher, sent his son to live with relatives, um, and he was kind of a, a handsome guy. And I'm going to show you a picture. See, he's not a bad-looking guy. He doesn't look bad, You know he? who he looks like? And I better not say on the air, okay. because he resembles somebody that you and I know very well. Okay, well, we better not mention his name. Yeah. <laughs> Come to guy, think of it, we better not. Yeah. Yeah, because so, this guy was a bad dude. Okay. Okay. So he was a handsome-looking guy. He uh, he grew to be a top rider and a tenacious, ferocious fist fighter. So he was one tough guy. So, uh, But he was also kind of quiet. He was popular. Uh, he might have grown up to become a pillar of the community. You that know. sounds just like the guy I'm talking about. <laughs> so he was doing really good, but this changed the day he, quote, borrowed somebody else's stallion. Uh-oh. He used it only a little while, the story goes, to chase his own stray horse, but the stallion's owner was not real happy with this, and King was arrested. Eventually, he escaped from custody, and he went to a place called Goliad, Texas. Now, have you heard of that? Yeah, because that's down by the Alamo. Okay. Yeah. All right. But trouble followed him in the fall of 1870. Fisher and an older man were indicted for housebreaking in Goliad. He was convicted.
granted. And at the tender age of only 16, he's only 16 now, and he's already doing this stuff. He's a juvenile delinquent. So he was shipped off to do two years in the state prison in Huntsville. Huntsville, still there. Yeah. Well, he was pardoned after only four months, presumably because of his age. You know, he was young. But he left Goliad for greener pastures. His trail led south. To the lawless corner between the uh, Nueces and the Rio Grande, down that way. Yep. In the 1870s, this area was crawling with, and I'm going to use the word they use here, scum of every description, rustlers, fugitive, bandits, from both sides of the border. Yeah. Uh, either way. Sounds like the Republicans and the Democrats. <laughs> yeah, as well as, uh, the, of course, the Indians, the Apaches, the Kiowa, Comanche. Well, in this same area, there was also a few honest people. Among those was a guy by the name of Doc White. Now, he was a man who was slowly building a cattle empire in this really rough, almost war zone area. Yeah. Well, he and the other ranchers needed help to just hold on, and Fisher was kind of the guy they thought would handle this. So uh, a man had to be his own law, so they hired him. And uh, other than the tiny U.S. Army, which was busy chasing Indians, the only law enforcement was the Texas Rangers, which I mentioned. They only had like 40 of these guys to cover all of that, uh, thousands and thousands of acres. Wow. So Okay. Anyway, so the ranchers helped themselves, and John King Fisher helped the ranchers. He perfected his shooting with a lot of good practice, and uh, he, he was kind of feared uh, by a lot of people, just his reputation. Mm-hmm. Okay, Now, in spite of the odds, however, Fisher began to make an impression on the lawless people, on the, the outlaws, uh, particularly on the rustlers who raided up out of Mexico. He shot quickly, he shot straight, and he was tireless on the trail of cattle or horse thieves, and they began to fear him. They didn't want to mess with this now, guy. this is... King Fisher. Okay. John King Fisher. All right. So he was helping out the ranchers in that area. All right. Now, uh, by this time, he'd kind of filled out. He was a charming, pleasant six-footer who tipped the scales at about 185 pounds. He was a handsome man, dark hair, broad shoulders. Uh, He had... uh one brown eye and one black eye. Well, black because he got hit. I, I don't know. But he began to pay real close attention to his peer appearance. I see. And when he really wanted to put on the dog, as we would say, yes. he was something to behold. A German shepherd. I'm going to sh- uh, tell you about that. Okay, so around the crown of his huge sombrero, he wore a solid gold band. Really? Okay? And the rest of his apparel was equally magnificent. A gold-embroidered Mexican jacket covered with the finest of silk shirts. Wow. And the whole effect was finished off with silk scarves. Silk. Silk, spectacular leather shafts, and the finest of boots. And topping it all off, he had a pair of pearl-handled six-guns. Mm-hmm. Pearl-handled. <laughs> and in 1876, that's when the Colt Peacemaker revolver really became famous, and I'm okay. sure that's probably what he had. I'm sure it was. But yeah. So he you know, he cut quite a figure in this uh, little uh, uh, little metropolitan area. Metropolitan but, <laughs> area. Small metropolitan. I see. And he was popular with all kinds of ladies, not just for his handsome face and his fine clothing, but very courteous, good nature. He danced gracefully with all the women at the celebrations. He was always, uh, as a couple of them later said, a perfect gentleman. Sounds like James Bond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, he and Fisher actually owned part of an Eagle Pass. Uh, watering hole called uh, the Old Blue Saloon, 
with kind of a bad reputation. Really? So when I say watering hole saloon, oh. yeah. So he was part owner of that. But the whole area knew of Fisher's kindness to ordinary people who were victimized by the wild cowboys of the area, including his own hired men. Once when two of his hands shot a poor man's oxen just to prove how good a shot they were, Fisher got the price of the oxen from his cowboys and made sure the owner was paid. So, so he to, had a little good in him. He did. Yeah. He had a whole bunch of friends. Uh, there was one guy by the name of Porfirio Diaz. Oh. And this guy was actually... You made it through that one. <laughs> he was actually the future president of Mexico. No. And kidding. he was a, a friend. So, But as his reputation grew, so did his ambitions. He started a little spread of his own. And you know where this is going. Uh-huh. There was plenty of loose stock for the taken. Some of it branded. Some of it not. And he soon began to build his own herd. And uh, he get, seemed to get along with everybody, and all kinds of men liked his company. He was just a, a friendly guy. Everybody sure. liked to be around He was him. a crook, but he was a friendly <laughs> he guy. He was a friendly guy. So a uh, little at a time, he gathered around him a highly competent bunch of wild, you would say violent hombres, who would follow him anywhere without question. Really? Yeah, he was quite a guy. Yeah. Uh, must, anyway, he didn't much care where they came from or who they were as long as they obeyed him and kept his hands, their hands off his stock. And he ended up with a, a, kind of a stronghold right there. He, did he pay them well? Well, he, yeah, I, I'm sure he did because they, okay. they worked for him. They helped him build up his herd. Yeah. So the only successful invaders of Kingfisher country <laughs> were the Texas Rangers. Uh-oh. Now, Fisher was arrested several times on warrants from various places of various crimes, but because he knew good lawyers, none of the charges ever stuck. King Fisher was indeed the virtual king of his own little empire. Okay, Now, he's protective of his own stock. Uh, he was reputed to be less particular about how other people's stock made it into his stock. Sure. He welcomed stock from south of the border. Paying his mint, go get it, and paying for the animals according to their worth uh, from these guys that stole the cattle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Along the way, this boom and trade, uh, the Mexican stock very nearly got him killed. It seems that four of Fisher's vaqueros, disappointed in the price Fisher paid them for rustling Mexican stock, planned to kill him while they worked changing brands in one of his corrals. Uh-oh. So you got the picture? Yep. Okay. Uh, they had not reckoned on Fisher's instincts and blinding speed, as I mentioned, with his gun. And as the Vicaros made, made their move, Fisher smashed one man's skull with a branding iron, snapped up his six-gun, and blew the other three from off the corral fence. Wow. He was fast. Well, not only that, he was a hard guy to work for. <laughs> well, you just don't cross a guy like, especially somebody named King Fisher. You talk about employee-employer relationships. Right, you know, I wonder how the workman's comp went yeah, on that my deal. goodness. Well, inevitably, cattle and horses with oddly smudged brands ended up among Fisher's herds. And this was not unusual on the border because stock often wandered loose and half wild. And cows do not much care whose brand they have on them. But rumors persisted that Fisher's cowboys were less than scrupulous about markings on the cattle they acquired. Uh-huh. Anyway, for all the loyalty, King Fisher was a dead, he was deadly as a rattler, they say. And he celebrated Christmas Day of 1876, for example. By shooting a cowboy over some now-forgotten quarrel, uh-huh. he just shot a guy. He shot him. Whatever. Holy smoke. On another occasion, after discovering four Mexicans stealing a horse from his corral, Fisher took a revolver from one of the thieves and shot the others. Mm-hmm. 
So you just, he was kind of a one-man band, wasn't he? Was, he was, yeah. yeah. Anyway, he established himself as one of the primary ranchers of the county and began to take some interest in law enforcement, whoa, whoa, if you whoa, can whoa. imagine. He was going to be a policeman? <laughs> According to most Texans' notion of right and wrong, Fisher was within his rights to get rid of cattle rustlers. I so see. They thought he was okay. All right. <laughs> he started well, his great big herd by rustling, and he's going to get rid of cattle rustlers. Right, yep. <laughs> anyway, apparently a good many people bothered Kingfisher over the years, and nobody knows for sure how many he may have done away with. But one story related to a guy named Pest House Pete. Okay? Say that again. Pest House Pete. Pest House This is a Pete. guy. Now, uh, he claims that Fisher killed three rustlers on the south side of the Rio Grande and then ordered Pete to drag the bodies back across the river, establishing a false uh, legitimacy for the killings. In other words, this hired man hauled the bodies back across the Rio Grande to, I guess, save Fisher's hide. Mm -hmm. Anyway, later days on the border included more than his share of trouble. The rangers convinced that he was killing and rustling outside the law, which we know he was. He managed to get a total of 21 indictments against him at one time or another. All of them ended in dismissals or acquittals. Now, just imagine if you're the judge down there, Zeb, or on the jury, hey, <laughs> you're not going to find this guy uh, guilty. Now, uh, how many years have progressed since 1876? Oh, so it's about 1886 yeah, right now? About 20 years, yeah. Holy cow. Well, anyway, we're going to go back to this Texas Ranger, Captain McNally. Yeah. You know, he tried to... Uh, to leave Fisher a little advice, uh, he said, make sure you stay law-abiding, King. You've got a ni nice wife. By now, he'd married. He said, you've got a nice wife. You could make a good citizen. You'd also make a nice corpse. All outlaws look good dead. Well, And this was the Texas Ranger. Yeah, he said, you know, things are going okay. Just stay on the right side of the law. There you go. He should have listened. <laughs> he didn't. Well, he did mellow over the years. He was happily married, father of three daughters, and by this time he was back on the side of the law and at times acted as deputy sheriff. No kidding. So, you know, he kind of came back around, but uh, a few years later, there's a guy named Ben Thompson, and he met King Fisher while they were both in Austin, Texas, in, on business. Well, they were friends, all right? Now, we're here, we're at 1884 right now. Okay. So they'd been drinking a bit there in San Antonio. They visited a saloon or two and ended up at a theater. Well, Thompson and Fisher were joined in their box at this theater by two other men who happened to hate Thompson. Okay, so got the picture? We got four men yeah. in this box watching the show. Two of the men do not like Thompson. Why were they invited? I don't know exactly. Oh. Okay. But exactly what happened after this is kind of lost in a cloud of gun smoke because both Fisher and Thompson lay dead in a pool of blood on the theater floor. The story of the quarrel just had gone too far. Somehow they'd gotten, and these two men shot Fisher and his buddy. Boy, the moral of the story is you can't even enjoy a night at the theater. No. And so they were basically, Thompson and, and Fisher were ambushed in this theater. And that was the end of uh, all over a forty-nine cent box of popcorn. I don't know, but so that's the end of King Fisher, who was really the top dog in no e Eagle Pass country. For, and that was it for a lot of years. Left behind a uh, probably a pretty nice ranch. What happened to the property? That's a, you know there we go with another question. Uh, 
You know, there was the King family down there. The King Ranch. King Ranch. Yeah. But I don't know that there's any connection. No. With, probably not, I'm going to guess. In, in, i got to tell the audience that when Dr. History and I were talking during the news, he mentioned the name King Fisher. And in some novels that somewhere in all the bookcases I have here, I think it was Larry McMurtry wrote in one of his novels, and I can't remember the name of it, and he used King Fisher as one of the bad guys in that now I've got to find that yeah. for you. Well, we know he was started out as a nice young man, but found that on the other side of the law was uh, more profitable. Well, he kind of went 360. Yeah, and then he came back yeah. uh, to be on the right side of the law. I mean, and he bought a ticket to the theater, which was, was a mistake. Yeah, him and Abraham Lincoln. What did they do to the two guys that shot him? doesn't even say what happened to him. Really? Yeah. So whether they got away or we don't, we don't know. Well, listen, going back to last or two weeks ago story about Meager. Right. Uh, let's do some research on that. Find out where that man is and maybe a telephone number. Yeah. And what we ought to do is try to get him on the program with you and I. That would be fun. If we see if we can do uh, a little more history about this. Uh, the petrified this general man. General Meager, the petrified man. So there is validity to that story. There is. And as I mentioned in that story, he was examined by doctors and even x-rayed. And he truly was a human person. I still haven't figured out how he became petrified. That's that's your assignment for next week. I want you to go and talk to any and all doctors you know and find out about petrification. I will. I've got some physician friends that I'll say, hey, how does this happen? Do some of these stories of the Old West absolutely amaze you as to some of the bad guys that were bad guys turned good guys or vice versa? Yeah, it it is interesting. And I, I think, generally speaking, you look at the Old West... The law was, really, you took the law into your own hands. I mean, you look at the vigilantes. You look at if somebody killed something, somebody, they would just go hang him or kill him. You mentioned he stole a stallion and he was in jail. Now, normally, I don't know what year this basically stopped, but normally if you were a horse thief, you stretched some rope someplace. Well, he was only about He was only a teenager. He was only about 16 at that time. Oh, I see. So he was pretty young. Uh, when he did that. So I think that played into a little bit of uh, sympathy for him from the law. Yeah, You know, that would be, the Kingfisher story would be a semblance of a good movie. It really would. I mean, you talk about uh, seeing both sides of the law, a guy that uh, all kinds of shooting and yeah. ranching. Yeah, yeah, that would be a good movie. I've got a quick commercial, and then I'll talk to you after we right. close the program. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, we don't have a brass band, so we're just going to say, da-da-da-da, thank you, Dr. History. You're welcome. Thank you very much. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com. And get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity. And the American dream starts with 
purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.